Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena. It's a beautiful day here. It's Tuesday, October 27th. And Julie Dolan, I just got to say, you're the best, man. You're the best. <laughs> Leon, you're the best. Thanks. Congratulations, Leon. You are our, you know, you spearheaded this um, this extravaganza. You're the best. A celebration of friendship. Today's the publication date. And congratulations to you, sister. Thank you. The The publication date is like the book's birthday. So even though it has sort of been out, uh, this is the book's official birthday. Yes. And so- you know, it... It is also meaningful that it is our late parents' wedding anniversary. I know. Can you believe that? And I'm sure that if uh, they were alive, all five sisters would have sent them copies of the book, (laughs) 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 as well as their granddaughters would have sent them copies of the book for their uh, for their wedding anniversary. Yeah, that is a nice little little bit. So I was thinking of that today, of course, of course. But um, it is exciting to have a new book out. We'd like to thank you for supporting the book and always supporting what Satellite Sisters does. It's really important that the whole Satellite Sisterhood get on board, and you have done just that. Uh, some good reviews are piling up on Amazon, Julie. Excitement is building for some of the dates on the book tour that we're going on over the next couple of weeks. A lot of appearances and um, and word of mouth. I can't say enough about that. So thank you so much. We're going to talk a little bit about the event in Brooklyn today coming up. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the work-life balance and how that works. Uh, Julie has a book nook. <laughs> I I know, and it's not our book, Lynn, but I, once you have read You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship, I have another book for you. Okay? Excellent. Excellent. And then it is the Tuesday show, so we're going to do our recap of Madam Secretary today. I actually had to do some research <laughs> for, for the recap, Julie. You did? Okay. And yes, it was it was a, a quite a thrilling episode. Uh, but I mentioned on the weekend show that I was um, I was doing a two night fundraising effort for the L.A. Public Library. Over- well, good for you, Leanne. Good for you. Thank you, Julie. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of libraries. I would not have been a writer had I not been such a reader. And we were lucky to grow up in a town, Southport, Connecticut, with an absolutely beautiful public library. It was a special place to go um, hide in the stacks and read books and uh, run around and meet your friends and things like that, much to the chagrin of librarian Stanley Crane. But um, so I have always loved libraries, and I'm happy to pass on that love. Julie, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I mentioned this on Sunday that it just was dawning on me that this was a pretty fancy deal and mm-hmm. that um when i noticed that the sunday night reception was 200 people uh a lot of bold faced names here in la society that the dress was cocktail i, I just was ill prepared for the, <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> So what'd you go with the sparkling poncho, Leanne? I almost, I almost did. I almost did. I almost went with the sequin pants, but I just went with a black dress. I thought, you know, that's fine as the author. Uh, but the, we had uh, cocktails at the at the spectacular LA Public Library, which is a beautiful building. And then we walked across the street to a club to have a dinner uh, with the, the people who were going to host the fundraising dinners for the authors the next day. Julie, this event raised... $1.2 million in one night. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's man. major money. Jeez. That's, that's Jeez. major. Yeah. That's, no, that's that, something. Well, and it's, go, it's going to a good cause. Yes. It's we have an extensive cause. public library system in Los Angeles. It's going to benefit libraries all over the place and underserved communities. It has to do with, you know, tutoring programs and technology in the libraries and updating databases and keeping the services going. So it was an extraordinary effort. Again, I had no idea. But what was fun was that a bunch of the authors who were appearing had been on our show. So 
And, you know, when we talked to the authors on our show, we never really um, met them many times because they were on the phone. Mm -hmm. So the first author I ran into was Sally Bedell Smith. And oh, she, I remember her. Right? Yes. Remember, we had that wonderful interview. She wrote that great book about uh, the Kennedy administration, mm -hmm. about yes. Jack and Jackie Kennedy and their years in the White House. She's a wonderful historian, a great storyteller. Uh, she lives in Washington, D.C. But I said, oh, my gosh, Sally, I'm Leanne Dolan from the Satellite Sisters. I um, We spoke to you about your book. And she said that was one of the highlights of my book tour. I She said, I remember that interview distinctly. So we have to look that up for you're the best interviews um she said because you clearly read the book so that really is the that's that's key isn't it it is key and it's the secret to our success because <laughs> yeah so many people who interview authors don't actually read the book no it's sort of us and terry gross are the only two two to interviewers or interview teams that read the books yes and so uh so i said oh you're gonna love this jill i said so what are you working on now? Who's your who's your next victim? And, and she said, Prince Charles. Oh, I know, right? So uh, she's wrapping up the book. Finish. It'll be out in like eighteen months. And um, you know, she's she's a historian, so she's very thorough. And I said, um, what do you what do you make of Camilla? I had to ask, right? She's right there. For she's, me. For me, you yes. asked. Thank you, Leah. You know, I know you're not a fan. I, I don't feel the same way you do, but you have you've held a grudge on Princess Diana's behalf for a long time. Mm -hmm. She said a couple interesting things. She said within um the inner circle in terms of the people who work at the palaces and the press, she is their favorite royal family member because yeah. she is very friendly. She okay. remembers their names. She sends them cards on their birthday, which is hard to believe. But, you know, and she's the only one that actually greets the press by name, looks them in the eye and says, it's okay to take my photo. The rest of the royal family does not do that at all. So. So, well, again, but consider her position. She's yeah. the mistress. That's the, you know, she's got to be nice, right? Well, I said, what was the deal? Was she just that irresistible? And she said, yeah, apparently, you know, back in the day, she just had a lot of um, sexual magnetism and it was something Charles Chris couldn't let go of. So maybe more you, than you want to know about um, Camilla. But I said, come back on the show when that book is out because we've got to talk. So there you go. That was that was fun to talk to her. I sat at dinner with Stuart Onan, who's a wonderful fiction writer, and that was fun. And uh, on Monday night, two couples from Pasadena hosted me in their house. Now, I had mentioned that the dress code was casual chic, and it was clear after Sunday night that my dress for Monday was too casual and, and not chic enough. So yeah, <laughs> yesterday, I was like... I got to up my game, man. This is not your average book club with some white wine, white wine and cheese and crackers. So I, uh, I managed to pull off a, an ensemble, I think fit the bill for casual and chic, uh, monochromatic, Julie, you know, that's my look monochromatic and nice, a nice Navy blue. Uh, but it was a really lovely evening, 18 people at a house. A spectacular house in Pasadena. It's a recreation of the Jim Thompson house in Bangkok. Oh, how was that, Liam? It was pretty great, Joel. You know, again, this is not the world I live in, so <laughs> maybe the world I write about occasionally, but I don't go there very often. <laughs> so, I mean, this was nuts. It was really beautiful. And the the, the uh, woman was an interior designer, so the house oh. itself was spectacular, built about 25 years ago on a great piece of property. The architect himself was one of the guests at the dinner, and then uh, I was there, and the food was amazing. And um, and those people know how to party. I mean, they could party for a Monday night. I got home very late, so a little tired. Wow. Leanne, well, I don't know if you can go back and just being with the regular folk. I know. It'll, it's seen... going to be hard to go to Brooklyn, but yeah. I think I can do it. I think I can Now do that it. you've seen the 1% and how <laughs> they live, right? <laughs> I think this is the 0.01%. I have to shout out Judith Krantz is the, was the chairman of, chairwoman of the event. And uh, you know she's in her mid-80s. Giant, the big hair still, unbelievably beautiful dress, dressed to the nines, high heels, looked fantastic just and 
I I desperately wanted to take a photo with her, but nobody was had their phones out. Nobody. This was not that crowd. So I really would have stuck out like a sore thumb had I insisted on a selfie with Judith Krantz. But she did look great. So there you go. But yeah, let's talk about Brooklyn because that's coming up Friday. We've actually had a, a flood of questions. Uh, we are going to be at the Powerhouse Arena in Brooklyn Friday night at 7 p.m. for our big launch. It's Liz, Sheila, Julie, and Leanne, the four sisters, and then um, the contributors to the book from the next generation. Uh, daughters, daughters-in-law, and nieces will also be there. Fiona is coming, who's 15. Ruthie will be there, Sheila's daughter. Your, two, your daughter-in-law, Lauren, will be there. And then our two nieces, Catherine and Megan Dolan, will be there. So that's a great group. So I actually had a, a message today on Facebook. Can I bring my 11-year-old daughter? Is it appropriate? Do you mind? And I was like... Yeah, totally family friendly. She'll have fun, you know, seeing uh, Fiona on stage at 15. Your granddaughter, Alice, will be there. So, yes. Julie, I just I want to tell you to watch your mouth because I know you like to just a string of expletives. <laughs> that's yeah, that. that's me, Leanne. That's me. <laughs> so keep it clean. Old potty mouth. That's what they call me, Leanne. I mean, Julie, is a, she's like the Bob Saget of the sisters. She's a totally different act live. <laughs> no no please no, bring no. your 11 year old daughter and who else should yes. they bring julie well they should bring their their, their satellite misters yeah. too Leanne. i mean we had some questions about that on facebook yes there will be satellite misters there um in addition to the sisters i believe we've got some um some dolan brothers yeah and brother us. and son and sons-in-law and yeah my and... husband my husband will be there satellite mister will be there i know me, uh, several of my friends are bringing their misters so don't be shy about bringing your mister yeah. they will be they are more than welcome i know we've also had some questions on facebook like oh, their satellite sister girlfriend couldn't come they're feeling you know they're feeling like maybe they don't want to go by themselves come on down you know these are all going to be satellite sisters you're going to make friends if you come to this event, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it will be a very convivial group. I think yes. we'll be packed in and we'll have a lot of fun. The doors open at 6:30. Um mm -hmm. there will be beverages. We were going to have snacks, but that that didn't work out at the last minute. So, <laughs> bring your own snacks. It's a No, but I and we have talked on our podcast before there are numerous little places Right, right in the same neighborhood as Powerhouse Arena. Everything from Starbucks coffee to there's a very cute cupcake place across the street. There's some excellent, um, there's an excellent pizza places. There are some more fine dining. There's some sort of grab and go upscale grocery stores right in the neighborhood. So there are plenty of places to get things to eat uh, that are in walking distance of the Powerhouse Arena. So that should not be a problem. All right. And then I do want to mention in Minnesota, uh, Liz wants us to mention this, um, you know, the location for the book signing on November 14th has switched to an offsite location. It will be at the St. Paul Athletic Club. The event is still being run by sub subtext books. If you are planning on coming subtext uh, and Liz, more importantly, and Liz suggests that you call ahead and pre-order your books at subtext. So they have enough, you can prepay for them and they'll be waiting for you at the event. Um, the satellite sisters meetup, the, the St. Paul athletic club, um, is said, just stay, feel free to stay on as long as you'd like. So you don't even necessarily have to go to another place for the meetup. I'm going to let Liz work out the details on that. Um, but the most important thing is call the bookstore ahead of time, pre-order your books. So there'll be plenty of books. And that is, uh, the 14th. And I'm sure after our Brooklyn event, Liz will be able to focus on that, but just wanted to let you know that. Okay. Anything else book related? Nope. All right. I think that's it, Leanne. Well, you know, I'm already here in Brooklyn, Leanne. I'm a part of the advanced team that came early. Um, so I'm here um, and it's looking good, Leanne. Everything's good. I think even the weather's going to um, cooperate on Friday. So that should be good. Um, but it's also an exciting time to be in New York because, of course, the World Series starts and I can't decide who to root for, Leanne. Of course, you have the Mets. Right. Which, you know, you got to believe yeah. in the Mets. Let's go but Mets. But they're playing those yeah. very nice Kansas City Royals. And, right. you know, we have we love Kansas City. You know, we've, uh, we've been there before on our book tour, and uh, we have a lot of Satellite Sister fans in Kansas City. We have family members in Kansas City. So I don't know who to root for. So 
but it should be an exciting series no doubt yeah i i i'm not that torn i'm going with the mets so i you know i just being we were yankees fans and so it's actually hard for me to root for the royals because there were some great uh, yankee royals rivalries the last time you know the royals won in 1985 that was a high point for the yankees a lot of playoff series so i'm I'm just going with the mets but that doesn't mean i don't wish a good series and i know our kansas city fans they want to streak their hair blue and that's cool just go for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go for it but you I, see a lot of people out on the street land everybody's got their you know they've got their Mets clothing on they're walking around they're proud uh the New York Daily Post you know the headline is destiny land that's oh, what they're saying are destiny. these band you think these are bandwagon Mets fans or are these the diehard Mets fans I think they're both land I, okay. think, yeah, I think you know you know it's it's New York City they like to back a winner and if they feel like the Mets are going to take them all the way even some Yankee fans are going to be rooting for them so, yeah you know. I mean I'm not going to buy Mets gear let's just let's be clear <laughs> about that let's just be clear about that but it, you know it's, it, that's that's but I, I get that I get that they do like to back a winner in New York all right okay, okay World Series let's go Let's go. Well, you know, Leon, I came up early. One of the reasons I am here in this area early is that for, you know, for over, oh, this was our 23rd meeting. I get to group, I get together with a group of my college friends for a women's weekend. Um, every, you know, we've been doing this for 23 years, which I think is, which is a pretty good record. That's I pretty mean, good I know, I know women's re- weekends are very popular now and I encourage them. I think they're great, but we, we feel like our group, uh, we feel like we were one of the first, uh, to, to organ to conceive of this idea and to organize it. And while I haven't attended every single one of the events because I was living overseas, it's still a very important time and we clear the decks and we, we all make the commitment to go. And, and, you know, we don't, uh, there's not a lot of activity at this. We spend most of the time just sitting around in our nightgowns talking and, and having fun. And one of the big discussion items that we had um, on this past weekend was we were discussing Anne Marie Slaughter's new book, unfinished business mm-hmm. now you've heard about this that this is sort of an expand this is an expand expansion of the atlantic monthly article that she did in 2012 why women still can't have it all you know she was a big state department official and she took a step back she um she you know left her position uh because she was raising two teenage sons and and one of her sons was having difficulties and she just, she just, she realized she couldn't do it all and she needed to focus on the home front. Um, so, uh, so we, we had that as one of our discussion items. Now, here's a couple of things. Uh, none of us have read the book, okay? So, but that does not stop us yeah. from having opinions about things, okay? Um, but all of us had seen the Atlantic Monthly article and um, and our host had provided us with a summary of uh, what the, the of what the book is like. Yes, we're Liam. Le- we, we I know dis- you're organized. I know you're Smithies. You're Smith girls. You're organized. I know it. I know it. Discussion. So these are seven women, uh, and among us, uh, we've had fifteen children. Uh, we have partners. Some of us have husbands. Uh, some of us have raised their children solo. Okay, and a hun- we ne- we re- rarely agree on anything, but a hundred percent of a hundred percent of us agreed that you could not do it all. That you know that that was that was clear. Now, the, and the women in our group have been very successful. They've had very successful. Yeah corporate careers, nonprofit careers, you name it. They have done a wide range of things. And to a person, they said, it is not possible to, to have it all, to have the big career, the family, the kids, or you just can't, you can't do it. And it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't a question of not being committed to our careers, or it wasn't a question of sequencing or the right, or having the right partner. It is just not possible. That was our first conclusion. (laughs) Our second conclusion is that it doesn't seem to be much better for the next generation. And that's even worse. That, you know, when uh, the women in our group look at, like, I look at my daughter-in-laws and I see how hard they're working and I see the juggling that they're doing and that they have really supportive spouses in my sons, you know, who grew up in a house where they had a working mother and they are trying really hard. And it's still, 
It's just not that it's not that it's it's too hard to do. You just cannot do it all. And that um, and that's kind of sad that even a generation later, even after our generation works so hard to advance in, you know, organizational structures and to change policies and to make it more family friendly, more female friendly. It still is not. And it's still so hard for the next generation. And yet, um, you know, uh, in Anne-Marie Slaughter's book, of course, which I have not read, um, she, she does say that millennials have a key, key role, that they really need to, you know, seize the opportunity to change things. But I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that because they're working so hard. That, well, you, know, you know, she's looking, she's essentially arguing for a sea change in the way we view yeah. caregiving in the broadest sense of the word, because yeah. that that's no longer just the purview of a woman's world. That, yeah. you know, even though the women do much of the care, it's really everybody's responsibility to understand that this is a key role in society. And even if you don't have your own children, most of us will be thrust into a caregiving role at some point with your aging yep. parents, with a sick sibling, you know, with a spouse, with a partner. So you don't need just a baby. And I think what she's arguing is that that's the way corporations and, you know, government regulate government laws, have, legislative, you know, policy has looked at it like, oh, well, we're talking about, you know, maternity leave. But it's a much, much broader idea than that, like accepting that people are going to have to step away. They are going to have to care for parents, for sick kids, you know, for themselves, for spouses at some point, And we need to support that idea. And so it's that caregiving that's just the downfall of, of a lot of women. And the burden is disproportionately high on women. So I think, yeah. yeah, so that's it. So she's asking those millennials step up to see change and sort of voicing this idea that caregiving is important and it can happen to anybody. And it's not just, it's not just a quote, working mom issue. Right. I mean, one of my friends said, she said, I, she said, I said, I'm sorry for 10 years straight. I'm sorry to babysitters, to daycares for being late. I'm sorry to my coworkers, to my boss for skipping out early. She said, that's all I said. I'm sorry. Every single day, you know? I mean, Anne-Marie Slaughter said, we have a system where you are made to feel bad if you put your family first. Right. And that just cannot be right. Right. <laughs> and we have all done that. You know, it's just so it's interesting that, you know, in the news this week, of course, Paul Ryan, who right. is uh, who is about to become or hopefully um, uh, going to become Speaker of the House. You know, he's made it clear that he wants to carve out time for, you know, family time and that he doesn't, he wants to do the role differently. And I was looking at a, I was looking at an editorial this morning that was like, well, good luck with that because, you know, <laughs> just, it may not be possible right. that, uh, you know, it's because it's, it comes in just in increments, you know, nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to deny you in concept that, you can carve out your family time, but the reality is they're going to come to Paul Ryan and they're going to say, oh, well, we need you to go to this uh, congressional district just this one weekend. You right. know, it's, it's just, it's an emergency and we're going to send a plane and, and we'll get you back as soon as possible. You know, it's the, it's the inevitability. It's the creeping. It just seeps in. And all of a sudden what you would hope for in terms of having family time you know, it's really difficult to keep those boundaries. Right, so. right. It is. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned it, that it became headlines, it became controversial. But I appreciated the fact that at least he was speaking up on it and people could talk about it. And you never know. Maybe that maybe it'll be a tiny, tiny change in the way sort of the perception of family time, caregiving in any role is is viewed. Worth having the conversation, you know, worth uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was fine that he said that. I was happy, you know, I was, but I, I, I think you're right. I don't think he's going to find it possible, but, <laughs> so, but okay, you know, good and, luck with that. And so, so, but some, you know, some of this is associated with resources. You know, if you have the resources to create family time, you know, right. if you're being paid fairly. And my, my third comment today, just about sort of the work family balance, I also saw in the paper that, that some NBA cheerleaders are now suing the league so that they can get paid, you know, so that they can release the salaries of what 
what NBA cheerleaders in on each of the teams is paid. I mean, for goodness sakes, Lena. The NFL, the NBA, you make millions and millions of dollars, okay? Will you pay those cheerleaders a living wage? I mean, come on. It's okay. just absolutely crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So why don't you take off the pink cleats and pay yes. the cheerleaders? How about that? You know what I mean? Like, I understand the gesture for all the pink sweatbands, but just pay the women on the sidelines that draw lots and lots of TV attention, you know, right. for the hundred million dollar television contract you're being paid. It is crazy. Yes, Julie, pay those cheerleaders. It's nuts. Those, I mean, because many of them are working parents too. Lydia. Yeah. And so, so that they need to be, uh, they need to be paid. Okay. I you know, sticking, we're sticking up for cheerleaders, Leanne. Okay. We could never be one, but that doesn't mean we can't support them, Julie. <laughs> That's exactly right, Leah. That's exactly right. All right. Well, I know we're going to talk about this topic uh, more and more. You know, I mean, it just, it is, it is something, I mean, if anything came out of our discussion this weekend, uh, you know, and it will be interesting if you discuss it with your friends, what your comments are. Uh, it's just, it is, we haven't solved the problem yet. No, the problem oh, is not solved. Yeah, it's no, all the, pro- the problem is not solved. Yeah. In fact, I've been thinking a lot about just this because this, you know, piece of work and looking at my next five weeks of, of book touring and doing, I'm doing about 40 appearances in the next five weeks. And oh my goodness, Lynn. yeah, no, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm working it here in the Southland in Southern California. And, um, you know, my mother-in-law emailed this week, is there anything I can do? And I, I have older kids now. It's just, it's like, com- it's completely different. It's a completely different set of circumstances than the last couple of, you know, big PR pushes that I've had to do with books or our initial book came out in 2001. And there were a lot of reasons why that was stressful. It was shortly after 9-11, but just the fact that I had small kids, I could only do, you know, a couple of appearances and every appearance was like so complicated. And, uh, just to be able to kind of walk out the door, throw 20 bucks at the boys and go, okay, see you later. It's just a different, it's just so different. It's it's just the weight is just tremendous. I mean, I have enjoyed each of the book tours for various reasons, but it's a completely different kind of uh, commitment. So, yeah. So been thinking a lot about this. Okay. So would you have a fun weekend otherwise? Yes, Leanne. We had a wonderful time and you cannot beat a New England fall. I mean, I know there are some pretty times in the, all across the country, but October in Connecticut. Come on. That is, it was peak leaves, leaf season this, uh, this past weekend. So we had a great time and we will, there will be a 24th meeting of our women's weekend group. I can assure you, uh, we all, it's one of those events where we get together and, uh, you know, and we all leave very renewed, you know, and, uh, I think, uh, that we enjoy each other's, um, uh, you know, company, and it also inspires us in our own lives, independent lives. Excellent. So, Good. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's great. So, but one of the things we do when we get together is we make a big a list of books that we recommend, movies, TVs, and then uh, we have one person acts as a recorder and then sends out this list to everyone. So if we're looking for um, books to read uh, during the year, uh, we, you know, we have it. We don't check on whether we've read everything on the list or anything like that, but it usually is a pretty eclectic list. But one of the books that was recommended um, that I just finished, I read on the plane on the way up because it had been recommended to me by my book club is, um, is uh, Kristen Hanna's the Nightingale. Have you heard of this book? I've heard of the book. It's sweeping the nation. It's very popular. Sweeping the nation. And, and here's, here's, I know why it's popular. First of all, because all the light you cannot see that book was so wonderful. Uh, well, this book has almost the same colors in its cover. Okay. So, so, so you're feeling like after that wonderful book, and then you're lo- reaching for the next wonderful book. This is the book to go to because, again, it's about World War II. Oh, you think, okay. You think every story has already been told about World War II, but no, Leon. There's still there's still more to be told, and this is about World War II in France and the French Resistance. Okay, so that's. 
that's a good topic area. Sure. You yes, yes. And but what I there's a couple things I liked about this book. First of all, it's a fast read. I mean, you I mean, depending on the length of your plane trip, you could probably read it in one plane trip or in a couple of nights. I mean, so it's not you know, I'm just No, I know. Sometimes you think I don't know if I can invest X, Y, and Z into this right. book. That's so, yeah. exactly right. I'm just saying that everybody's busy. You yeah. don't you know, sometimes you're you make a commitment to work on certain books, but if you want something that's sort of enjoyable and you know, it's this is a fast read. And then secondly, one of the central themes of the stories stories is story is about two sisters oh no you know i like that yeah and i know you like that too so and i think that's the best relationship uh, that's that's um outlined in this book is between these two sisters um so so i would recommend the nightingale of course after you get uh and read uh you're the best, a celebration of friendship. Well, we interviewed Kristen Hanna on our show uh, a couple of books back. So she's a good storyteller. She's one of those writers that can really spin a good story. Yes. So that's, that's yeah, I enjoy her books. I enjoy her books. All right, Book Nook. Good, Joel. Excellent. Okay. All Excellent right. work. You know what? I have been reading a bunch of books. Uh, not a single one can I remember the title right now. So I just have a lot on my mind. <laughs> You've been busy, Lynn. I have been very, very busy. Well, I don't, honestly, I don't know how politicians do it. I have had three straight nights of talk, talk, talk. I had three book events right in a row, Saturday night, Sunday, Monday. I don't know how politicians do it on the campaign trail for like six years. How do they do how do they do well, it? You see, that's why we get nothing done in Congress, Leah. Get... They go out every night, talk, talk, talk. And then during the day, they do nothing in that Congress, right? You're right. It's, I mean, you make an excellent point, Jilly. Make an excellent point. All right. We are going to come back with our uh, recap, our weekly recap of Madam Secretary, uh, the season two, episode four. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters. If you are want to find out anything about Satellite Sisters, the best place to go is SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena here with my big sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. We do a lot of things on Satellite Sisters, but every week we do a recap of Madam Secretary on CBS. And tonight, Julie, we are doing uh, Waiting for... Talaju, is that the blessing? Is that the name of this episode? I think that's what's going on, Leanne. I think that's it. Yes, I think it's yes, it's associated with that twelve-year-old virgin. Yes, we're going to get to that. All right, we're so happy to have you here. If you're new to Satellite Sisters, you can find out everything you need to know about us at SatelliteSisters.com. We have years and years of podcasts there and at iTunes and at Stitcher. Uh, we've been doing uh, doing a talk show for a long time, but this is our first season recap of Madam Secretary. Someone asked Julie, where could they find season one recap? And there there is no such thing because we just got on this bandwagon this summer. So we just jumped on with season two, didn't we? That's right. And I think you can too. I mean, don't be shy or don't feel like, oh, because I haven't watched it from the beginning, you can't catch on. You can definitely catch on. And particularly if you listen to our recaps, right? <laughs> Yeah. It's so insightful. <laughs> well, last week, Julie, you hit it out of the park with your knowledge of Russia, which yeah. dovetailed so beautifully with yes. that like World War Three Russia episode. That mm. was exciting to be a part of, frankly, Julie. You you really brought it last week. Okay, Leanne. So I, I'm a little less schooled on Nepalese stuff, but okay. I'll I'll do my best. All right. Okay. That's right. I actually looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, so I'm in pretty good shape for this Okay, Liam. All right. Let's go over the major storylines. Uh, that's how we're going to break down this episode. I, I identify three major storylines, Julie. Okay. The first right. one is Bess in the doghouse. So mm-hmm. Madam Secretary last week, apparently, she just blew it in Russia. Uh, the new, the Black Widow, the new female leader of Russia, Maria Ostrov, tore her uh, apart during her husband's funeral service, uh, shredding Bess on beh- and the United States. And so now both the president and her arch enemy within the cabinet, I just like to call rat face Craig, they are going to put Bess in her place. And they made it very clear from the onset, Julie, that Bess was just to pretty much stand in the corner and say nothing. Was that your interpretation of, of yes. this storyline? 
Yes, Leanne. Key key dialogue line, Leanne, was when Rat uh, when Craig Ratface <laughs> turned to Madam Secretary and said, "Madam Secretary, you had your turn." And then, so she was definitely in the timeout corner on this episode. Yeah. But you know what? So their whole, so this whole storyline was about this suspicious Chinese weather station that was being built in the Arctic. And, uh, they were convinced Ratface Craig and his team were convinced that it was being used as a spy station. And so it was a, a power play really to change the entire U S defense strategy based on this one weather station. Seem like a stretch for me, Julie, that uh, that all of the billions and billions of dollars in our entire strategy would change on this one suspicious station. Uh, Ratface Craig said he thought that the Russians and the Chinese were working together as a relatively cheap way to gather intelligence and that something called the Arctic Commission was conspiring against the United States. And uh, now that it was all Bess's fault that Russia hated us and everyone in Russia hated us. And we looked bad. She had to stand in the corner and rat face. Craig was going to rework the defense budget and focus on technology over diplomacy. That if- I, I, I actually agreed with rat face uh, Craig on this issue. Oh, because <laughs> I do believe that Vladimir Putin is trying to take over the Arctic. So, and, uh, and the Chinese are not far behind. So, uh, but would so they I work together? Would they no, I, they're yeah. arch enemies. And I think that's when I lived in Russia, that was, you know, one of their great fears is that giant Chinese population would come across Russia's southern border and try to occupy land. But they hate the United States in such a way that they, you know, it is possible. It is possible, though not likely, that they would pair up on something. But I think Vladimir Putin wants the Arctic for himself, land. So <laughs> you you heard it here first on the Madam Secretary yes, recap. Yes, you did hear it here first, and you should pay attention to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that that storyline plays out, and we'll get to that at the end. Okay. The second major storyline was uh, Nepal needs money. Now they've had a couple of major earthquakes. Yes. And uh, Bess is trying to move a you know relief bill through Congress, and the key PR uh, boondoggle who showed up to help get Nepal this money is a 12-year-old virgin called uh, the Kumari in, mm-hmm. in, in Nepalese tradition. <laughs> this whole thing. I did yeah, not what? understand what, how she moved from place to place on that red pillow. Like, I, I, wasn't, I did not think that the U.S. Congress would be moved by a 12-year-old virgin. I, I, I didn't believe it, but I knew it had, like, spiritual connections. I knew that, you know, it's very visual, and it's this idea that she's this silent 12-year-old that represents, like, all that is good and pure in the world, and she's really going to, you know, marshal the forces so the U.S. will give Nepal money. Julie, what did you think of the Kumari? I, I kind of liked her, Leanne. I thought at any moment she was going to break out into some pop song, though, because she, she did look like a little pop star, didn't she? She did. Kind of. She, she did. She looked like Katy Perry did at her wedding. Remember when Katy Perry got married yes. that one time? Yeah. Yes. Exactly, Leanne. <laughs> so... And she just kept showing up in places. Like, there she was at at the State Department, like, in a big office, sitting on a big red fluffy pillow, you know. And How uh, did she get there? Did did Blake arrange that? I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Secretary of State just sort of opened those doors, and there she was, you know, with her handlers. I didn't trust those handlers either. Yeah, and the right, and the money kept being approved and not approved, and it was connected to Ratface Craig and that storyline, and you know, reworking the defense budget and the reprioritization. You know, ultimately, it looks like Nepal is going to get their money because Elizabeth comes up with the great solution. But Julie, I, I did some research on the Kumari. It is a real thing. These these okay. virgins uh, that they that they use in Nepal to represent sort of goodness and purity, and apparently the Kumari rests inside all women. So just remember that there was a whole nother storyline we'll get to where that was kind of an important thing. And uh, but here's what happens. You get these audiences with the Kumari. She's not allowed to speak, but you can Mm -hmm. come and petition her. And then she's going to give you these signs based on these signals. Okay. And uh, according to Wikipedia, many of those who visit her are suffering from blood or menstrual disorders because that's where her special power lies from <laughs> such illnesses. We we could use some more work in that way, really. <laughs> 
I'm totally supportive of the Kamari's work in that area. <laughs> okay. So, but when I read like her, her actions as these predictions, I thought this is like what Sheila does in a business meeting. <laughs> okay. So if the Kamari starts crying or, you know, engaging in loud laughter, that means you've got a serious illness or death. Okay. okay. If she starts weeping or rubbing yeah. her eyes, that's imminent death. If she starts trembling, you better beware of imprisonment. If she starts picking at food offerings, which Sheila would totally do, that is going to signal financial losses. And then uh, if she starts clapping her hands, you have a reason to fear the king. Okay. So, yeah, I did some research, Julie. She's a real thing. Uh, And then the Kumaris, they they lose their gig at 12. You know, once they become actual women, Mm -hmm. they lose their gig. And then they go on usually to get married. But it takes a while for them to get married because really – that's hard to live up to. They've been like sequestered for 12 years and never allowed to, their feet to touch the ground. So it must be very, very right. hard. Must make for a long life after that, after you've been carried or it's around. Or a spouse that's going to carry you around on the red pillow, you know? <laughs> right? Oh, I know. Okay. And then finally, the, the major storyline that carried throughout and had a lot of implications was, once again, oldest daughter Stevie, oldest daughter of Elizabeth and Henry, Stevie makes bad choices, which is really quite the theme for Stevie over the last season and a half. Poor Stevie. She's representative of an entire generation of, quote, making bad choices. But in this case, uh, she had like a one-night stand with her good friend, the president's son, who also happens to be a recovering heroin addict. So that was not a great choice. And then to take photos of yourself while that's happening, not a great choice. Mm -hmm. And then to trust that your heroin addict boyfriend is going to delete the photos, also not a great choice. And then a a disgruntled Secret Service agent steals the phone and threatens to publish all the photos, sends out, uh, sends out all kinds of emails. So the whole uh, episode was really about containing these photos, the possible PR damage, sort of getting to the bottom of what happened, breaking down Stevie's relationship. You know, the president and his wife got involved, and the four parents had a tete-a-tete. What should we do? Should there be a press conference? Should there be this? And really what the consequences were, how it differed for a man, the son of the president, this case and a daughter you know a 20 year old woman versus a 20 year old man in this case and uh what do you think of this storyline jill well first of all pretty as we have said before just for the last 15 years on satellite sisters everyone in the world but the satellite sisters has nude photographs right Leon? we are the only (laughs) ones left we're the only i believe the only five women or at least four out of the five women who don't have nude photographs okay so that is I, we've just we've just talked about that. If you're going to take nude photographs, they're going to surface at some point. Uh, so I, I mean that was that was one issue. I was very happy to see that we had yet another Broadway star in this story. Yes, line. Julie. Yes, Christine yep. Ebersole, yep. Tony Award winner for Grey Gardens, was playing the First Lady, and so. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I you know I thought she might break into song and dance at any point uh, in and in, in when the two families were getting together to trying to work out a solution, but you know but that was a that was a rough scene. They had some uh, the you know the um, the president and his wife and the secretary of state and her husband trying to work it out and uh, you know and they thought the best solution was to make them just pretend like they were young lovers and you know this was a mistake. But of course, you know, uh, people were going to think um, think less of Stevie rather than um, the heroin addict, a son of the president, no doubt. So I was I was interested. Henry came to his daughter's defense on several occasions. He was yes. being interviewed on C-SPAN. He got a gotcha question. He rushed to her defense about morality and this and that. And who are you to tell me? Then once again in, at the dinner, he said, you know, he brought up the point. He was the one that said basically she will be shamed for her behavior and people will just shrug that, you know, your 20 year old son has done this and she's going to bear the price, which is true. That's exactly, that's exactly what would happen. I was confused though, with what we were supposed to make of like the virgin and this, and then that really weird scene in the middle of the show where two more Tony award winners, (laughs) Daisy, the press secretary, yes. and B.B. Newworth, the chief of staff, 
start, start talking about men and how needy they are and how you have to come to their needs and commiserating. And honestly, I did think at any minute they were going to break into a Stephen Schwartz song. Like that was just like <laughs> the dialogue was so tortured. I thought this must just be set up for a fantastic musical number that never happened. But I didn't know, I, I didn't know there was talk about feminism and not feminism. And I know it's not feminist and she's a feminist. I didn't think all those messages really came together that strongly there for me in this episode. I have to say, I thought there were a lot of mixed messages. I did not right. understand that Daisy uh, press secretary chief of staff scene at all. No, I and everybody seemed to be trying to delete things from the cloud, which is impossible, <laughs> Leon, as we all know, right? <laughs> yeah. So and that. Apparently they had stuff or didn't have stuff that they wanted deleted uh, from the, uh, you know, sort of compromising photos or something, something or other. And even Henry and Bess said there was that great line. Thank God there was no Internet the weekend we went to the lake. Right. Yeah. See what, again, proves my point. Satellite sisters, last five women in the world. (laughs) With no pictures. But yes, I felt like they could have done a, a better job with that. And I was, I, I'm really confused about Matt and Daisy. What happened to them? I thought they were together. And yeah, I guess not. they broke up. And now yeah. then she was playing dumb with the, the securities, the cyber yeah. security guy. I, I just didn't understand the message that the writers were trying to tell us. Like yeah. either there was going to be, as they call it, slut shaming of the 20 year old daughter. But why is the grown woman pretending she doesn't know how to delete stuff from the cloud? Like I just didn't understand all those messages. And then why just sing then? Just sing it. It would have been better. It would have that would have been so much better as a duet. I really. Yes, it would. <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. I did like Bess's line though after the torture dinner when she was describing the first lady, Christine Ebersall, as a first class wasp. I thought that yes. was a good line. You don't good. hear a lot of wasp lines on, on TV anymore. And uh, the fact that she just kept pouring the gin and uh, really working their way through dinner. But that was a volatile dinner. So, you know, the, and it was concluded by Stevie confronting the, the secret service agent that stole the phone and kind of asking the, you know, asking him rhetorically, but also to his face, like, didn't you think I was a real person? Didn't you think right. how this was going to affect me? But based on everything that had come before, that that scene fell a little flat for me. I have to be honest. Well, I just think it would seem improbable that that never would have happened. If and, and you know, I mean, everybody would have been lawyered up by then. I mean, so the two of them would never have had their fifteen minutes together. Uh, I mean, I understood which, uh, what Stevie was trying to do was, you know, she wanted to humanize him, so just not to think the worst of him. And she wanted the Secret Service agent that took advantage of her situation to to realize that she was a real person. Um, I liked I liked Stevie the best in that scene. Yes, Any scene I've ever seen her in in uh, in Madam Secretary. I mean, <laughs> she had very strong performance. Yes, yeah, she, she did. was good. I mean, Henry's good. It was just that one weird scene with you know Daisy and BB Newworth that I thought really threw the whole thing off in terms of yeah. tone. I just didn't understand yeah. where that was coming from. That was just crazy. I don't think women talk like that in a work situation. Like, oh yeah, we both dated guys at work and that didn't work out. And ha ha, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Is that the dialogue? Ha ha. I think that's it. All right. So, but in the end, Bess has a big win, uh, a big work win. First of all, she kind of she she works those two storylines that Nepal needs money and she's in the doghouse over this you know secret Chinese uh, weather station. She manages. To, you know, in a scene from Dave, do you remember that movie and Kevin Klein's yes. like the fake president and he starts going through the line item budget, you know, right, Bess right. is lying in bed and she has like a Dave moment. Oh, the budget. <laughs> yeah. On page 427. Yeah. I happened to find an extra billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so she wants to put the U.S. wants, you know, they can put their own uh, weather slash spy station uh, at the highest peak in Nepal. They can give the Nepalese people rent, which acts as aid for their earthquake relief. And in the meantime, they really show the Russians and the Chinese, we're on to you, we're on to you. And then she has a great scene with Ratface Craig where she answers, you know, the diss from two scenes ago where he refused to have lunch with her and he and she shuts him down and says, oh, we should really catch that lunch. That was a good scene. She had a good moment there. 
that's uh that's and and she says to him never again say you know that it was my you know you had your turn so she yeah i i like that that she and she leaves triumphantly right uh and even the president uh, apologizes that you know they and realizes that he was you know pressuring pressuring her uh, uh elizabeth's family um, you know, much too much and that it wasn't fair to, you know, to make Stevie go out there and pretend she had a boyfriend and to put her in a bad light. So, and just miraculously, they were able to contain Leon all those photographs. All the photos. Wow. Yep. All the photos. 100% containment on that. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, all right. Couple of, a couple of other side things. Let's go with the, our binders full of blouses report. I yes. thought Elizabeth had an excellent blouse show. I mean, the blue blouse that she started the show in was mm-hmm. spectacular. That is a good color on Leone. Yes. And that just, it was simple. It was clean. Again, dramatic sleeves. It's just the way they're going to go with her blouses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also in our blinders full binders full of blouses this week, that white turtlenecked blouse, Julie. I thought that was lovely. Did you enjoy thumbs, that? Thumbs down on that, Liam. Oh, you didn't like it? No, I did not like that. And I was watching the show with my daughter-in-law, Lauren, who was delighted to be watching Madam Secretary. <laughs> Just mainly because apparently she doesn't get to watch much popular TV in her house. <laughs> household they they stick to the intellectual topics oh, that must anyway, be so she was tedious. happy to be relaxing and watching <laughs> madam secretary and i asked her what she thought about blouse no no go on that one yeah. okay it's just yeah, it's just a just a real throwback to like the 70s and stuff no you can't it just uh i, I can't do it liam okay go. and how about the black and white blouse in the middle yeah, of the show no, i like that that okay. was a little zippy that All was right. and i would like i think we should keep watch henry has quite a collection of hoodies have you noticed that yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> so just saying a couple of questions. I still do not know who's doing all the dishes in that house. Right. Who's they're doing making? It. They're yeah. making big breakfasts there, and I, I don't know who's cleaning up after after things. Uh, so that's an ongoing issue. And and of course, my favorite line of the whole show is when uh, Bess says to uh, I think she says this to Blake is. It always comes down to who has the longer core when discussing what to do with the Arctic Circle, Leon. Remember, keep it clean, Julie. Come on, keep it clean. I did. That's a a verbatim, Leon. I'm doing. And then I I think a special mention to the luxurious bathrobe covered by the pashmina. I mean, that was that was quite a layering. That was that was epic layering. I thought, like, how cold is it in your house that you? Why don't you just turn the heat on in that yeah, yeah. beautiful townhouse in, in, in Georgetown? Yeah. So she had the bathrobe and then like the pashmina. It was, that was, that was pretty good. I thought that was good. Uh, so an excellent episode, you know, media episode in general moved us forward, took us away from Russia. Best got some power back. Good family dynamics. All in all, some good performances. Looks like next week we go back to Russia. So Julie, yeah. bone up. Okay, <laughs> I will. Land. I know we have a big week, but see, see what you can see what you can learn because it, it looks like it's all about the Ukraine next week. So just do some fact checking this week. Okay, right? Liam. Okay, I will. Will do. <laughs> All right. We are the Satellite Sisters. Uh, again, SatelliteSisters.com is where you can find more of us. we like to thank everybody uh, for supporting our new book, Satellite Sisters, book called You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship. You can find out information about that at Amazon, at bookstores anywhere, or at SatelliteSisters.com. Jill, have a great week. You too, Leanne. See you in Brooklyn. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. <laughs>